0: Our hearts have been heavy for Ukraine. I've been following a, good, a very good friend of mine I grew up with in one of our fellowship churches, Phil Reed. Uh, he's a missionary in Ukraine and uh, thought about leaving early, decided to stay, but then they, they did leave now and got to Romania um, just this week. And so, yeah, many, many people. We, we know different stories, and, um, and I can put you in contact with him as well. But let's, uh, let's go to God's Word now. And um, Lord, we come to you, we come to your Word with with our hearts full of, of lament uh, for our own uh, sinfulness and brokenness for the lament for our world, for Ukraine, for Russia, for, for what we see in our own communities. And also with gratitude for so much that you have done. So much, Lord, your love for all people and all nations that we are, have been chosen and, and welcomed. God, we are so grateful and we ask you now to Speak to us from your word as only you can, Lord, use this time in your word to speak to us exactly what we need to hear right now for us, and so we will know exactly what we need to do and say as we leave here, in Jesus' name, amen. So I've got a question for you like I sometimes do, um, I'm good at... I'm, I'm really good at questions, better, than, better at questions sometimes than answers. Um, so my question is, who do you eat with? Just think about it, who do you eat with? Who have you eaten with in the last week or the last month?
1: Or the last year? Family, okay. Friends, okay. Your wife, okay. Okay, I got another
0: question for you. Who do you not eat with? You probably don't even think about that you don't eat with these people, but um, just think about who have you not eaten with? And maybe it's individuals. Maybe it's a
1: certain kind of people. Um, Who do you not eat with? would you not even think of eating with? would you not want to eat with? Putin. Okay. Uh, somebody else? I mean, you don't have to share that. But uh, if you've got somebody close to you, share
0: one, one person or one kind of person you, you don't eat with.
1: Whisper to somebody next to you. Okay, now I've got another question for you. Are you one of God's favorites? So
0: um, Beth Mork sent me a text, or a, I can't remember if it was an email or a card or what, but a lot of you sent me messages and texts when I was having my surgery, and she said, um, you know, we're praying for you. Be sure to rest, and you're one of God's favorites. And that just kind of struck me, and I was like, hmm. Really, am I one of God's favorites? And uh, does God have favorites? And and it just kind of I was chewing on that question uh, for a while, and then um, and then this this uh, as we were looking at Acts, that question came back to me. But I don't want you to think about it. Are you one of God's favorites? Do you feel like one of God's favorites? That, does how you feel make you a favorite or not? You know any. So, um, and you online, are you one of God's favorites? So we're looking at the Acts of Jesus and the Spirit in the book that's called Acts. Um, what Jesus Did and Taught, Volume 2. He said before, this is my previous volume, I talked about what Jesus did and taught. Now, he's continuing. And uh, we've been seeing how Jesus has been acting and Jesus is the leader. Through the Holy Spirit, Jesus is working. we're going to see in this passage today in Acts 10 that Jesus is the leader. There isn't a strategic plan from other leaders, but Jesus clearly has a strategic plan. That is far beyond them. So, Acts 10. If you've got your Bibles, I'd encourage you to open there. I'm not going to have it all up on the screen, Acts 10 and 11. So, um, open up to Acts 10. And uh, in Caesarea there lived a Roman army officer named Cornelius who was captain of the Italian regiment. Now, I think it's easy for us to breeze over that and uh, not contemplate what that means. I think the invasion of Ukraine gives us a little bit of a feeling of what it means that there was a captain of the occupying army that was subjugating people and any stir of unrest was snuffed out. Jesus was not the only person crucified. Pilate crucified, what, 400 people. Just snuffed them out like bugs. Just let them hang there naked until they died because there was no opposition to the empire.
1: So think of how Jews felt about Cornelius and all the people who he commanded, who were there to keep the peace. As in,
0: nobody can say anything, do anything against Rome. Now, the Jews had heroes from the past, like. Judas, Maccabees, who had rebelled against the Greeks and had overthrown them and gotten independence for them. And, and th- that was one of their heroes. That was the kind of Messiah they were looking for, a David, a Judah, Maccabees, somebody who would throw off these oppressors. When Jesus came, they were like, is this the time you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? That was a question at the beginning
1: of Acts, right? So here is this Roman officer, If you were a Jew, would you go eat with him? Probably not. And in fact, Jesus, you remember, had
0: said he called Abraham to bless him and make him a blessing to all nations. And then there were some food laws and other things that had been put in place to make sure that the Jews did not get just absorbed into the nations in all their ways, but they forgot the blessing to all nations part and pretty much became we need to keep ourselves distinct from these pagan Romans who are trying to take over everything about us, wipe out our religion like they did at the time of the Maccabees, the Greeks, the Romans, the culture was oppressive trying to press them into its mold and they did everything they could to stay holy, different, distinct and not be pressured, at least in their religious observance to become Greeks or Romans. Who worshipped all kinds of gods, all kinds of stuff going on. They did not want that paganism. Um, <clears throat> so as I was, uh, as I was uh, having to lay on my couch for a couple weeks, <laughs> um, I read a book that Ron Spica gave me. Um, called List Innocent Blood Be Shed. And this is from mostly about the time during World War II. Um, but it's got an interesting the, the main character, as I explored more and more, I realized that the the daughter of the main character, as I, I saw in an interview with her online, whatever, I, she, and she mentioned McAllister College in her neighborhood. I realized Nellie Trokme Hewitt lives in our neighborhood. I'm, if anybody knows her, let me I'd like to meet her. She's 94 by now. But last I heard she was still alive. Anyway, so her father um, this is going back to the time when he was uh, he was in France. His father was French. He grew up in France, but his mother was German, so he knew German. And uh, but his city was occupied by the Germans during the time of World War I, and he was uh, he was part of he, he grew up Protestant. They read the Bible, but it was very do your duty kind of Protestantism. Uh, unusual in France to be a Protestant, but. He, uh, then he got into this youth group that was really vibrant Christians, and they were really seeking God and sharing with each other, and he, really a, a, an alive kind of thing. And one of the things they did was the Russians' captives, Russian soldiers who were captive, were there and were forced labor, hardly anything to eat, were dying, and they were forbidden to help them. If they fell over, some German soldier would kick them, maybe just shoot them, and they were just, they were there. But these young people actually got into the, through some friendly, they would bring a pot of vegetables to those starving Russians every week, and sometimes they got thrown in jail for eight days for doing that, but but they hated the Germans who were occupying their uh, France. And then, but then he saw some things, like he saw this line of Germans just dragging their wounded, and one blind man with his jaw completely gone, um, just being led by, and he thought, is he my enemy, or is, is it just war that's my enemy? What, what is going on? And then <clears throat> there was, uh, let me give you this little story here. His hatred. Um, so a few days later, he met a German soldier on the staircase of his own house, part of which was being used as military quarters. The German stopped, looked kindly at the lad, and touched his arm. Are you hungry? He asked in German and offered him KK bread, the black potato bread of the German army. No, answered André answered in German, but even if I were hungry, I would not take bread from you because you are an enemy. He didn't want to eat with him. No, no, I'm not your enemy, the soldier said. Yes, you are, the young man persisted. You are my enemy. You wear that uniform and tomorrow you will perhaps kill my brother who's a French soldier fighting against you, trying to get you Germans out of our country. Why have you come into our country carrying war and suffering and misery? You heard some of this kind of stuff from the Ukrainians right now? Um, I'm not what you think, he answered. I'm a Christian. Do you believe in God? The boy's face brightened slightly. The man was using words he had often heard and uttered throughout his young life. At, at Breslau, we found Christ the soldier. on, and we have given him our life. Then he talked me about a certain group that he was part of, and he said, the soldier, Men cannot hurt those who have put all their confidence in God. One day, a man who hated the work of our sect came into the meeting to kill our leader, but his pistol misfired, and we all knew this was a sign from heaven. Standing there in the staircase with his hand on the young man's arm, he went on, I shall not kill your brother. I shall kill no Frenchman. God has revealed to us that Christians must not kill ever. We never carry arms. But how can that be? You're a soldier. Well, I explained all this to my captain. He's allowed me to go into battle without arms. Usually telegraphers te- like me carry a pistol or a bayonet. At least I have nothing. I'm often in danger when I'm in the lines. But when I sing a hymn and I pray to God, if he has decided to keep me alive, he will. If not, Andre had met his first conscientious objector. And uh, there was a German refuse, simply refusing to do what he saw as an immoral job. The courage and faith of the man were playing, and the boy invited Kindler, that was his name, to come to the Union for the next Sunday service. Kindler accepted the div- invitation. So now, he went to this group of young, young men, and uh, they were shocked. And then uh, they translated, he, he translated for this German soldier, and they sang Hallelujah together, and, and then they prayed out loud, and this is one of the his most intimate thoughts to God in a loud, clear voice. The first time, Andre really prayed. And the Germans' love and courage had kindled him a love and a courage that had been waiting for a spark to ignite it. And then he, the soldier gave him some of his uh, letters and, and things and said, Now, if I'm captured
1: or if I'm wounded, you'll hear from me. But if you don't hear from me, send these to my wife. He never heard from him.
0: What happened was interesting because that did something... So André Chocmé, he became a pastor later. There was some revival in northern France. His leaders would not let him have any churches. He was invited by different big churches. They said, no, no, he's a pacifist. We won't let him. He's dangerous. So he was allowed to sort of, on an invitation, go to this remote village of about 3,000 people way up in the mountains that nobody cared about and take over this little Protestant congregation in this Protestant area. What happened was he preached, and when the, when the Germans invaded in World War II, he said, we will resist the enemy. And he did resist, but we will use the weapons of the spirit. And when Jews showed up at the door, his wife said, oh, by all means, come in. Come in. And then she went to the mayor and said, I need some, some, uh, some ration cards. There's, I have a guest. He said, we can't have Jews here. That will, that they're dangerous. You've got to get her out of here. I said, no, she needs something. So then she, she, at another time, went to Jews there. And they said, oh, no, we can't have these foreign refugee Jews. They're the ones who are causing problems to us, French Jews. Do you see that thing of distinctions between us protecting us? We might need to not deal with some other people. What happened because of his leadership and just the nature of things, Nellie, who lives nearby here, said, happened to be the perfect place at the perfect time with the perfect person so that they saved 5,000 Jews or so. They hardly even knew who who was hosting who and who was hiding who, um, the the count is just from the fake ration cards. Because nobody really knew who else was doing what. Some of them got to Switzerland. And it was a long. it's an amazing story. And it's amazing that the Gestapo knew what was happening and yet didn't. They threw him in prison. He got out just before he would have been sent off to be killed. Um, they almost caught him another time. They, they knew what was happening. It was done boldly. And yet they didn't. And this guy was a Jew, not a Christian. He's not even sure about God. But he says, you know... I don't know about God, but it happened because they believed in God. So I guess, like my friend said, it probably was a miracle that they weren't wiped out like so many other villages. So anyway, what's interesting about this, I want you to connect it with our passage. Here is a Roman soldier,
1: the enemy. And what does God think about your enemies? So let's read on. Cornelius, was a, he was a devout,
0: God-fearing man, as was everyone in his household. He gave generously to the poor and prayed regularly to God. One afternoon, about three o'clock, that's the prayer time for Jews, he had a vision in which he saw an angel of God coming toward him. Cornelius, the angel said. God knows your enemy's name, and God knows
1: your name. Jesus calls you by name. Are you one of his favorites? Um, Cornelius stared at him in terror. What is it, sir? He asked the angel.
0: And the angel replied, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have been received by God as an offering. Now send some men to Joppa and summon a man named Simon Peter. He's staying with Simon,
1: a tanner who lives near the seashore. So God sees you. God sees you in all you do. And he sees you with love used to sing a song, be
0: careful little hands what you do, be careful little hands what you do, for the Father above is looking down in love, so be careful little hands what you do. I think I forgot that looking down in love part, I always thought it was a little more, no, he's looking in love at what you do, what you say, what, Um, and Jesus invites you. He's inviting you into something new. So he had noticed what was, Cornelius was happening, but he had more invitation for Cornelius. So how will you respond to Jesus' invitation? As soon as the angel was gone, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier, one of his personal attendants. He told them that it had happened and sent them off to Joppa. So Peter is about to have a soldier show up at his door and say, come with me. How is Peter going to respond to that invitation? Well, God knew Peter... Needed more converting, maybe, than Cornelius. And so God goes to work on Peter. And uh, the next day, as Cornelius... Is, so you might want to continue reading. I didn't put the whole text in. Uh, verse 9. The next day, as Cornelius' messengers were... So here here's what I, the other thing I just want to make a point of before we move on. God is already acting and speaking in the lives of people you think are farthest from him. You got that? You think those people, they don't care about Jesus. They're whatever label you have for them.
1: Um, But God is already at work. You probably don't believe it. But he's already at work. You think Peter believed God was at work in that way in this
0: Roman officer? He wouldn't have guessed. But uh, God's giving him some hints. So next day, as Cornelius' messengers were nearing the town, Peter went up to the flat roof to pray. So prayer is where this started for both of them. It was about noon. He's hungry, but while a meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. And God brought this sheet down with all kinds of animals, reptiles, and birds. And a voice said to him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. No, Lord! I've never eaten anything that our Jewish laws have declared impure and unclean. But the voice spoke again, do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. The same vision was repeated three times. Then the sheet was gone. Peter was very perplexed. What could the vision mean? So God has shown him something. He's confused. Notice that these visions are incomplete by themselves. But God's at work. Um... You see, for Peter also, and other
1: sent ones, other Jesus followers, like us, Jesus calls you by name. He said, Peter!
0: He knew Jesus was calling him by name. Jesus was seeing him and what he does
1: with love. And now, as Peter was puzzling over this, uh,
0: Peter was very perplexed. just then the men stood sent by Cornelius, Found, just then, they found Simon's house. Kind of a godsend timing there, huh? Standing outside the gate, they asked if a man named Simon Peter was staying there. Meanwhile, as Peter was puzzling over the vision, the Holy Spirit said to him, Three men have come looking for you. Get up, go downstairs, go with them without hesitation. Don't worry, for I have sent them. Peter needed really clear directions. Get up, go downstairs. There's three people there. Go with them. I have sent them. So who's the missionary here? God sent Cornelius' devout soldier to come get Peter, who wasn't going anywhere. Oh no, he'd gone pretty far already. He was was on the seashore. He was away from Jerusalem. He was with a tanner. It was kind of, you know, it's kind of shady, kind of borderline Jewish kind of occupation. But interestingly, sometimes God sends people to us. Are we ready? Are we listening for what God might be saying about the people who we cross paths with, who happen to knock at our door? So Peter went down and said, I'm the man you're looking for. Why have you come? They said, we are sent by Cornelius, a Roman officer. Ooh, a Roman officer. Ooh. He is a devout and God-fearing man, well-respected by all the Jews. A holy angel instructed him to summon you to his house so that he can hear your message. So Peter invited the men to stay for the night. Whoa, Peter, watch it. Those are Gentiles. That's the nation's your house. First Peter was already hosted by somebody else. There's already some hospitality going on, so I don't know what he said to the guy who, hey, we're having some Gentiles for the night. Um, so the next day he went with them, accompanied by some brothers from the Judea. They arrived in Caesarea the following day. Cornelius was waiting for them, and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered his home, Cornelius fell at his feet and worshiped him. But Peter pulled him up and said, Stand up, I'm a human being just like you.
1: Are other people human beings just like you? Or are they that label? We could lay lay out the labels, right? Um, Are they some of those people?
0: He says, no, I'm a human being. And when we identify with other people as just another human being like you, it sets things, we're on an even plane, right? Not like I'm a Christian and you're a non-Christian. Or some other distancing labels maybe. Um, I'm a human being. They talked together and went inside where many others were assembled. Um, So Jesus invites you, he invites Peter here. How will you respond? Do you notice something? The resistance was less from the outsider, Cornelius, and more from the insider. God talked to Cornelius, maybe the first time in his life, and Cornelius says, yes, immediately, I'll go, I'll do it. Peter says, no, Lord. No, Lord. No, Lord, I've never done that. What is it? that you have resistance about fear about uh you know yeah those people what kind of conversion do we need this story is more about peter's conversion and the church's conversion than it is about cornelius's conversion they both needed conversion i've watched missionaries get converted because i'm a missionary so we hang out together Um, what happens is yeah my church of christ friend came over for example And he tried to figure out how to reach the Sukuma and how to get the gospel down into 11 lessons that would be taught going from Genesis to Pentecost and then 25 lessons of church maturation. He planted about 80 churches. But in the process of figuring that out, all the Church of Christ distinctives kind of didn't make the cut. Then his church people came out and said, how come they're using instruments? How come there's women leaders? How come? He said, if they find that in the Bible, that's okay because we say we just follow the Bible, Right? I didn't want to lay on all, but, and my independent Baptist didn't, friends didn't want to hang out with my Church Christ friends, because, you know, they were not, because they don't believe different about baptism, and their Church Christ friend was saying, well, I, yeah, I thought all the other missionaries were, you know, somehow, by God's grace, they were going to get saved. What was I thinking I was getting saved by? Anyway, we have this interesting thing. When we're trying to figure out what is the truth, in another culture, you find out, well, maybe all the things don't quite work, or maybe I've added some things that weren't really part of it. Maybe I've got some things that keep me from other people. So, um, I'll be honest. When I, was, when I was growing up, we were good Pentecostals, and we were God's favorites. I think the most favorite church in town, because we were the most strict. We, we, we really had, you know, we, we didn't drink, we didn't smoke, we didn't dance, we didn't go to movies. Um, we, we were really, and as a result of that, I kind of, you know, I, well, first of all, I was in church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, also some Bible studies, you know, find out about when Jesus coming back and go to, go to youth group Monday night twig. And so, I didn't do a lot of stuff with my friends. Partially, there were parties. They were probably going to drink. And then, you know, even pep band and going to all the hockey games and football games and stuff, you know, there was usually some kind of youth activity. And so, there's a sense in which we really belonged to our community, and there was a sense in which we didn't quite belong to our community. I I did Little League for a little bit and then realized that all the games were going to be on Sunday night, Wednesday night, so what was the point? And and so, you know, there's a certain distance that came in. It was good. I'm glad a lot of things I didn't experience. I don't miss all the movies I didn't see, you know, or any of the drinking I might have done or anything else. But there was a certain kind of we're God's favorites that put a little bit of a barrier in there. Um, so, anyway, so, Peter is having to get converted. Got that? Maybe we might even need some conversion. So, Peter comes and and Peter told him, you know, it's against our laws to enter a Gentile home like this, or to associate with you. Now, it wasn't really the Old Testament. It was really the things they had added to the law to make sure they didn't get anywhere near breaking the Old Testament. Um kind of like the things I just mentioned that we Pentecostals would never do. Um, but God has shown me that I should never, no longer think of anyone as impure or unclean.
1: Is there anyone you think of as dirty? As not really, or whatever the right word is? Um, I, I, yeah, so
0: I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. Now tell me why you've sent
1: for me. Notice he starts with a question. He starts with listening. Tell me about your life.
0: What's happening for you? Can you you tell me what's going on? And he gives Cornelius a chance to explain where his life is at. And Cornelius explains this whole story about what happened to him. And then Peter replies, I see very clearly that God chose no favoritism. In every nation, he accepts those who fear him and do what is right. This is the message of good news for the people of Israel, that there is peace with God through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. Is that amazing? He is Lord of Muslims, of atheists, of those kind of Christians, of Buddhists, of nothing, whatever, people who have no particular nuns, and, you know, nuns as in no religion. He is Lord of all. So Jesus is Lord of all. All are acceptable to God by turning to Jesus. Now I want you to notice, Cornelius still needs to know Jesus. It says he believed, he repented, to be forgiven, to be baptized into the one church. So on the one hand, God accepts all those who fear him and do what is right. But sometimes we can take that to mean, well, so they don't really need Jesus then. They're fine. If Cornelius was fine in his paganism, worshiping Roman gods, why did he need the synagogue? And if the synagogue was good enough, why did God send him an angel so he could go find out about Jesus? Jesus. So God loves and accepts everyone and He wants to bless all people through Abraham and his seed, Jesus. And so therefore, He needs to convert
1: some of us to realize that they're waiting to hear that. And they need to hear it and they want to hear it.
0: And some of us need to know that Jesus loves us even if we don't feel like we're really those kind of people. I'm not really... You know, those evangelical, oof. And those Christians, I don't know about them. And, and I, I got problems with
1: God loves you wherever you're at. He knows your name. He sees you. And he wants to invite you into something more.
0: Wherever you're at with your experience of Jesus and your experience of other people, He wants to invite you into something more. God's favor has no favorites. That's what I titled this sermon. And then later on, I got thinking, you know, actually, God's favor has all favorites. I think I am God's favorite. Sorry.
1: But I think you're God's favorite too. Because God's favor has come to you. Not only did Jesus
0: come to give himself for you, to live and die. And Peter goes into the whole story. He talks about, you know what happened out in Judea, beginning in Galilee, after John began preaching his message of baptism. You know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Remember Luke 4, I'm anointed to bring good news. And healed. then Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. This historical Jesus is his message. I I was a witness. He says, we apostles are witnesses of all he did through Judea and Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him to life on the third day. Then God allowed him to appear, not to the general public, but to us whom God had chosen in advance to be his witnesses. And we have been chosen to be his witnesses. And we have the testimony of the eyewitnesses. We were those who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. This eating and drinking thing keeps showing up. Now, first of all, they ate and drank with him. He was a resurrected body. He wasn't just a spirit. He was really a resurrected body person. He ordered us to preach everywhere and testify that Jesus is the one appointed by God to be the judge of all. The living and the dead. You know, even Muslims believe that Jesus is going to judge at the end of time. Jesus is judging all. He is the one all the prophets testified about, saying that everyone who believes in him will have their sins forgiven through his name. Even as Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who were listening to the message. The Jewish believers who came with Peter were amazed that the gift of the Holy Spirit had poured out on the Gentiles too. For they heard them speaking in other languages and praising God just like it had happened for them.
1: You mean God can speak Russian? You mean God can speak Latin
0: and Greek and things that these people had never heard? Yes. God turns out he can speak every language. And this is his blow on the doors open from Babel again. Just like he did at Acts. You know what? It's for everybody. Every language. You don't have to speak English to be a good Christian. Did you know that? I know we we don't really believe that. But it's true. So, then Peter said, Can anyone object to them being baptized now that they have received the Holy Spirit just as we did? So he gave orders for them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. They became part of this one body. They didn't start a different, like, okay, we're going to have the Gentile church. No, they became part of the same body, welcomed into the church. So it's not done until they're part of the church. They didn't just have a little individual experience. They were baptized into the church. So he gave, afterward, Cornelius asked him to stay with them for several days. I wonder if Peter thought about that. Stay? Uh, with a Roman officer? Uh, what will I eat? Uh, where do you want me to sleep? It must have been a little bit of a gulp, at least for some of the people with Peter, to for the first time ever not only be in a house, sleep there, eat there with a Roman officer. But they did it. They stayed. And then what happened? Chapter 11. Soon the news reached the apostles. Let's go on here. Soon the news reached the apostles and other believers in Judea that the Gentiles had received the word of God. But when Peter arrived back in Jerusalem, the Jewish believers criticized him. You entered the home of Gentiles and even ate with them. Now, they knew that the Gentiles received the word of God, but that
1: wasn't the main point. The main point was you ate with those people. You stayed with those people. Eating with your enemy.
0: Um, Andrew was praying uh, and he was praying about tearing down the dividing wall of hostility out of Out of uh, Ephesians 2, it says that Jesus on the cross tore down the dividing wall of hostility between Jews and Gentiles. But he messed up and he said the dividing wall of hospitality. And I thought, I'm going to take that in my
1: sermon. Because you know what? There's a dividing wall of hospitality. Who do you have over? Who do you
0: eat with? Who do you go out with? Jesus says, don't invite people over who can invite you back. Your friends and your relatives? No, invite the poor and the, the people you never think of. There's a dividing wall of hospitality. How much can, what kind of restaurant can you afford to go eat with somebody? Can they afford it? Um, what, what kind of food are you going to eat? Do you like their food? Do they like your food? Is it too spicy? Is it not spicy? Is it There's a dividing wall of hospitality. Who, even in this congregation, do you have over? Or do you eat with, and who do you not eat with
1: or have over? And what about people around you? Now, this has been a terrible time for hospitality. Right?
0: Because it's been weird. I'm not sure if we're supposed to have anybody over, if we're supposed to eat you know, take our masks off and be with people. And were they vaccinated? Or are they not vaccinated? they condemn me because I am or I am not? Or if we do or do not? Or, and we've had to retreat into our... Pretty much no hospitality, Eh, maybe Zoom hospitality, Hi, which is great, I'm grateful for Zoom. We're gonna have to get out of the habit of no hospitality, even if it's dangerous. Okay, I mean, I'm treading on water here, I know we got, and I know that the pandemic is on the wane now, but it can come back, and, and I don't know exactly how it's gonna have to happen. But we can't
1: go on forever never eating together we need to be together and
0: we need other people to be together and you know what people around us are dying actually literally dying even from no contact no hospitality and they're also dying from the virus and there's a lot of stuff going on and mental health stuff and I don't have all the answers but we do need to be somehow leaning into Being a house of prayer for all nations with hospitality and missionality and spirituality. And how do we do that? So, Jesus converts the sent ones and the nations. He converts Peter. So, Peter goes on and answers them. He says, you know what? God showed me everybody's favorites. And this is chapter 11. And then then God spoke. Jesus spoke and said, go. And then he prepared. He was already speaking and working in Cornelius when I got there. And then God acted and gave them the Spirit and what was I supposed to do? How could I stop the Spirit who had already baptized them in the Holy Spirit? I wasn't supposed to not baptize them in water. They were already part of the church. How could I not welcome them to the church when Jesus already had, the Holy Spirit already had. So Jesus, so Peter defends himself in chapter 11 with that. So I've mentioned this other book to you that I've I just finished reading from our friend Rick Richardson, some great research. Um, unchurched, he talks about how unchurched people are surprisingly open to the Christian faith. This is a little bit of research. Unchurched people respond to how effective would invitations to church be through the following methods. So, Facebook ad, they might. Online video, more so. Invite from friends. More than half would come if a
1: friend invited them. Do you believe that? Or do you believe, oh, they'd never want to come. They, they don't, you know, uh-uh.
0: 55% if there was an invite from a family. We don't believe that Cornelius is anything but a Roman officer. We don't believe those people are anything but Democrats or Republicans or neighbors or people who don't clean up or what, I don't know. We don't know that God is working in them. Then maybe somebody else inviting them or mentioning something. Somebody in their family who's doing something. God, God's probably at work. And you probably don't know. Peter didn't know. So, here is the process he mentions of developing a missional congregation. The church is a place where you find your beloved. And I got to say, this church is pretty good at hospitality when people get here. We welcome people. You are really good at it. From I mean, maybe I'm too in to know. Maybe I haven't been an outsider enough. But I think... I watch you guys welcoming people who come in here you. People don't just come in, sit in the back, and then slowly wander out. Now, maybe people can sneak in, sneak out fast enough, but most times, you can, one of you catches them and says, who are you, how are you doing, welcome. This is a really hospitable congregation, I think. You are really good at strangers becoming friends. And welcome, of course, it's not, they're not friends yet, you're just welcoming the potential friends, right? Then he says, the church needs to belong in the community. So that was what I was talking about when I was growing up. We kind of belonged in the community. I went to the public school, and I, had, I knew everybody's 250 names in the class, and you know I, I belonged to the community, but I, w- I was a little bit not quite belonging. Do we belong in our community?
1: Do you belong in your neighborhood and in your family, or are you a little bit? Do we belong in this neighborhood? Um, there's ways we can learn to belong. So Peter got
0: really pushed into belonging in a Roman officer's house. Um, and then blessing the community, both with deeds and words. And then inviting them to Jesus, inviting them to church, inviting them to a small group or just dinner with some other friends who, who might be Christians or what other kind of invitations well maybe we could read something together inviting people to join you to join the church to to find out what it's like to belong here and then here's what he means by when i talked about community blessing he gives some a simple acronym for that begin with prayer and you'll notice that this fits actually pretty well with what happened for peter he was praying
1: and then God talked to him. When you pray, be sure to listen. Because God does want to say stuff. But then listen with care. When Peter showed up, when people, people came, he said, what do you
0: want? When he got to Cornelius' house, he said, why am I here? What's happening in your life? Listen to people. If you turn on the spigot and listen long enough, they have space for you to maybe say something yourself. Right? Listening with care is such a gift. And then eat together. Hospitality. Have people over. It doesn't have to be eating. Maybe it's a walk. Maybe. But there's something powerful about eating together. And we see it here that Peter eats with these people. He welcomes them in his house. He's welcomed in their house. And then serve in love. Now you can also be served in love. Sometimes it's better to let someone serve you. So that they can be the higher person. And, and then maybe you can find a way to serve them later. And little things, you know, borrow tools and, and uh, shovel each other's walks and, and just little
1: things. How can you serve somebody? And then share your story. If you have built this relationship, people will be ready to hear your story.
0: Maybe it's something simple about what's happened With you with Jesus or how Jesus met you or who Jesus is or
1: Peter just shares his story I was an eyewitness of this is what Jesus did I saw it now does that sound hard yes and no to me that's hard and not hard you don't have to do it all at once just start praying for some people
0: you know, who in your neighborhood, who in your family, who, who of your friends could you just remember to pray for? And then, you know what? God will start doing stuff. Or maybe he'll just open you up to see the stuff he's doing. Because now you're praying for that person, your eyes are open, your ears are open, you're like, oh, huh. And you can pray with them. When they share something hard, you can say, uh, you know, would you mind if I just prayed for you? And just quick prayer. You never know. They might say, wow, thank you. I don't believe in prayer. I don't believe in God. I don't believe in any of that stuff. But thank you for praying for my country. Thank you for praying for my daughter. God answered your prayers. is
1: that amazing? It isn't. It isn't. Because God's at work with people. So begin
0: with prayer. Listen with care. Eat together. Serve in love and be served. And share your story. Just simply. Now, you don't want to do... It's great to do both the blessing, both the serving and the sharing together. Sometimes we like to divide those up and do only one or only the other. It's great to do them together. Not every time, but it's, it's good to keep together. So 2022 is another year for healing community. It's another year. It's a year for overflow. So welcome. Jesus calls you by name. You are one of his favorites. Even if you don't feel like, even if you feel like you messed up, even if you feel like, I don't know, I'm not. He calls you by name. He sees you. He sees what you do.
1: He invites you. And I'm going to invite the worship team up as well. He invites you to a new response to him. To follow him in a new way. To receive his overflow in a new way like he invited Peter, like he invited Cornelius. What is Jesus' invitation to you today?
0: And then the really important question, how will you respond?
1: No, Lord, I've never done that. That sounds dangerous. Or will it be, yeah, there are people who need to know Jesus
0: what Jesus can do for them how Jesus loves them what Jesus has already done for them and somebody brought that message to you
1: somebody welcomed you
0: somebody shared with you what Jesus did you were favored by somebody God sent somebody to you or maybe God's sending somebody to you today
1: This is your time to hear this message. He wants you to respond. But maybe it's also your chance to share beyond. So, welcome to Jesus'
0: table. Welcome to eat with the enemy. Remember, you were enemies when Jesus gave himself and died for you. And he's welcomed everybody to the table, including your enemies. So we're going to sing a little bit, and then we're going to do Communion.
1: All
2: things you make all things new. Lord, you do make all things new. You make all things new, God. You are the God of mercy and love. Father, we acknowledge you in all things. And we declare that our circumstance is not hopeless, but we have hope in Jesus Christ. And we declare, God, that you are not a God of scarcity, but you are a God of abundance. And we declare, God, that you are faithful in all things. that you never fail that you're never out of control that you send your answer before the words are even out of our mouth for what we are going to pray and we stand in that faith this morning as one body of believers to declare that you are worthy of it all you are worthy of it all and so in the places god where We need you and we don't see yet what you are doing. We declare that you are working. You are doing what you said you would do because you are faithful. Let this church be a church that puts its hope in Jesus Christ. That knows its true source. By the power of your Holy Spirit, God, we just invite you to come and to change what needs to change and to shift us, God. And in response, Lord, we just open ourselves to you and say, have your way, have your way, have your way. You make all things new, God. You make all things new. Holy, Holy, holy.